One of the biggest things we can do to quiet our inner critic is to not let the critic's narrative be the only narrative. Because the inner critic likes to erase all of the other stuff that's happened, that's positive, that's gone well, um, and keep the story of we're not good enough, or we can't do it, or we shouldn't try. And when we recognize and hear that, and we go, oh, I'm in that never, always bad (laughs) narrative, we recognize it, we can say, I'm not going to listen to this story, and we can start to listen to what else is present. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblatt, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Her Drive Podcast. This is the podcast where we focus on women's stories, what motivates them in their personal growth and professional lives as well. Today's uh, guest is a woman with quite a resume, um, working 10 plus years in the tech space, is an author, a speaker, and from what I found out about Miss Leah, she also has a certification in Hatha Yoga, which is fantastic. So, um, Leah Garvin, welcome to Her Drive Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It is definitely an honor. Well, Leah, um, please like share with uh, with the people out there listening. What is it that uh, that you do? How do you define yourself? Ooh, <laughs> love that question. Um, I am a, I would say, <laughs> how do I answer that question? I'm, I'm laughing because one of the things that I am working on is, um, is, is doing just that is, is getting very crisp with defining what I do. And I think I'm, I'm many things. I'm a mother of a very rambunctious toddler. She mm-hmm. is amazing and has, has opened my eyes up to, uh, how to be patient and how to be more present. Definitely. Um, also an author, I have a book coming out in, in a few weeks called unstuck. I think what I would say career wise, I am a connector of people and, and person that, um, likes to ensure that everybody has the tools they have to be successful in, in any environment they're in. And this has been, really my, my journey of, of how to create that and, and how to, how to make that happen has been really, as I look back on my career of what seemed like I just did a bunch of random different kinds of jobs, it, it really was a core theme of, of everything that I do. And so that, that, that's now what I'm finally kind of coming into as my identity professionally is, um, someone that works to ensure everybody can be successful in the environments they're in. Well, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I think so many people can relate to that, the the struggling with answering that question. It's like, wait, can you, can you ask me like a sub question? Like, what specifically (laughs) do I define myself? And I think that's the beauty of one being a a, a woman is that we are so multidimensional. We're truly super women in so many different spaces in our life. And, um, you know, life is, life is so big. How can you just define yourself with one, one or two little words, you know, but I do think connector is amazing. It sounds like you're very inspirational and uh, a motivator. Um, 
So, I mean, those are all powerful, wonderful things to be. Thank you. And, um, as I've started to figure out the ways in which these different things fit together for myself, I think it's, it's been fun to help other women do that for themselves. Like, like you just said, it can be hard for, um, we can be multifaceted and it can be hard for us to really articulate that. And and that's actually something I dive into in the book around how to articulate our impact, our value, especially in the workplace, um, how to not downplay it or say, Oh, it's no big deal. Or I kind of do this, or I kind of help with this. No, these are things that we, we bring to other people. These are often our superpowers, our strengths, the things that we're celebrated for in the workplace. And, um, and, and, Finding the narrative across, I think, is an exercise that can help all of us be able to answer that question. Like, how do you, how do you define yourself, and and how how should other people think about you? Mm. Yeah, those are all key questions. Mm. So, um, I first want to tell everyone, are you, what's the name of of the book that you have coming out soon, and what's the the premise of it, and then we'll kind of get into the story of origin. Yeah. So the book is called Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourselves from the Patterns and People that Hold You Back. And the book is about 12 challenges that show up for women primarily in the workplace and how to use the power of reframing or looking at them through another perspective to unlock new possibilities or ways of approaching them. And I dig into topics from feedback to decision-making, to talking about our work, to, like I said, owning our impact, demonstrating our value. And first I look at, well, why do we get stuck? You know, what are the different messages and biases and, and expectations that we've often been fed our entire lives? These things that our inner critic starts attaching to, believing these limiting beliefs. And, and so how do we even get here in the first place? And then looking at the power of reframing or looking at them through new perspectives to see, okay, you know, if it was feedback, you know, maybe my limiting perspective was that feedback is a criticism, that it means I did something wrong or I'm not good enough or I'll never, never be what I want to be, you know, shifting that perspective to believing, well, it's, it's actually just a data point. Feedback is more about the person giving the feedback than, than the receiver, because I might be doing the exact same thing in a, five different situations and get different feedback about it from five different people. And so I share tools like that around these challenges so that, so that we see there's so much more out there than the way we're already looking at a challenge. Ooh, how interesting. Um, well, yeah, I think that sounds like something that can be applied in, in uh, so many different spaces and in the workplace is such yeah. a critical area for most of us where we want to improve and get better. And of course, if you're doing like reviews each year, yeah. sometimes gonna, there's going to be some feedback that um, we, you could take um, and glob, you know, hold on to it and maybe it's negative or something like that. Um, is it true that women tend to, you know, if they're doing a review, they're getting feedback, will typically glob on more to the, the negative or perceived negative feedback unlike a man might? 
I mean, I would say that that's an observation I've had that more often, you know, I think women are fed messages around having to be perfect, having to get everything right. When there's fewer of us in an organization or in leadership levels, it can feel like one mistake can kind of be the end of it. So I think all of these factors can put extra pressure around feedback. And then I think often in the workplace, women's work is under hyper scrutiny, right? There's, there's, double checking of, oh, is this right? Or should we approach this way? Which is, which these are more systemic issues that create these, these patterns and beliefs. Um, and then, so I think, yeah, what I've observed often, especially for myself is, um, this feeling of almost shame around feedback or embarrassment of of how come I didn't get it right. Or I knew better. I should have done better. And, and then it can make it really scary to face getting feedback that there's a couple of things. One, it's like, oh God, now I have to add one more thing that I need to fix about myself. Like, that can be really overwhelming. Or two, we can feel like, oh my God, how many other people have noticed that and go down this sort of spiral of, oh God, I must've blew this meeting and that one and this and, and sort of getting into a rumination around that. And then I think we can also build a new insecurities bonus that now we are looking out for all these things that we're quote unquote doing wrong. But all of that is a like all of that's around a perspective that feedback is something that's wrong with you. And so I think when we're in that headspace, it's going to be very, very hard to action a piece of feedback or to to look at it objectively because we're making it about ourselves. And then if so, if we're able to detach a bit and say, okay, this piece of feedback maybe was delivered in a way that was really insensitive or the person didn't bring empathy, or maybe they're not even the right person to give me the feedback. We can kind of like start to look at the feedback. We might say, okay, so all these things were sort of wrong with the situation, which triggered me in these different ways, but what was the data that was being shared? And oftentimes there's some sort of message in there that maybe we want to action because it has something to do with a career goal or our job or whatever it is. And then maybe we don't have to. So for example, um, let's say a colleague gives us feedback, like let's say um, we get feedback from someone that like we made a presentation and, and our slides had too much content on them, right? Oh, I, you know, your presentation went fine, but the slides, like there's so much reading on the slide. I, I didn't find the slides to be effective. We might take that piece of feedback and say, oh God, like how many other presentations do people think were bad? Like, oh my God, you know, what else went wrong? What? Or we'd say, okay, for that person, that's not their presentation style that they like. And now we can say, huh, I'd like to collect some more evidence around what kinds of presentations are effective in the team I'm in. And then solicit feedback around that. And we're making it around the presentation and the slide, not about ourself and our self-worth. And if we get data that says, yes, let's put less content on a slide, it still isn't about us. We say, ooh, that's great to know. Now I can do that for the next time. Again, totally now objective about the work and the situation, not about ourselves. And I use that trivial example because I think it can be these trivial examples that are death by a thousand paper cuts that can make us feel like we can never do anything right. And it's like, well, first the slide was wrong. And then I said, I'm a lot. And then this and that. And we, and it feels as if everything is, is going wrong. And, and when we depersonalize, we can look at each thing as, oh, that's just a subtle, subtle shift here. That's something to fine tune there. Or this thing has nothing to do with me or my job. I don't even have to think about this piece of feedback. 
That's interesting. So how, how, if, if you're coaching someone through this, how do you help them, um, Obviously, like the concept of what you're saying is very easy to understand. But when it comes time to actually apply that yeah. in a real life situation and then hold on to it, not just in one case, but continuously as you move through your professional career, how do, how do you help someone in, embody that fully or as much as they can? Yeah, I, I often ask, what else do we know? Like, what is the evidence? And typically... There's so much more evidence than we're giving ourselves credit for. So often when we say I'm, the, 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 we get in the headspace of, I don't do anything right. You know, everyone, my boss hates me. Everyone thinks I'm not good enough. And all of these things, um, we are attaching to a small set of pieces of evidence. Maybe our boss is not good at giving feedback and maybe they're kind of a jerk and that's, the, maybe that's the case, but, but it's often not the case that everybody thinks that. Right. So when we're talking more in absolutes, it can be important to say, well, what else do I know? And we often see, well, I was asked to collaborate on this project. I was asked to lead this thing. Um, I've gotten great feedback from my colleagues. My manager's manager asked me to um, lead this other thing. When we look at the other evidence and we stop and say, okay, what else is present here? We see that there is more to the story. And I think that can really start... Um, the process of getting unstuck when it comes to feedback or the inner critic or negative self-talk by saying, this is not the only information that I have. And so that's the place that I start with folks. And let's say it's about, um, you know, a piece of feedback that, that someone gave and we think, oh gosh, everybody must think that about me. No one's going to want to work with me or this or that. We can stop and say, okay, <laughs> that might be true, but what else is true? And then it becomes actually not what that might be true. It's actually never true, right? Because <laughs> there's all of this other evidence present. And one of the biggest things we can do to quiet our inner critic is to not let the critic's narrative be the only narrative. <laughs> because the inner critic likes to erase all of the other stuff that's happened, that's positive, that's gone well, um, and keep the story of we're not good enough, or we can't do it, or we shouldn't try. And when we recognize and hear that and we go, oh, I'm in that never always bad <laughs> narrative, mm -hmm. we recognize it, we can say, I'm not going to listen to this story and we can start to listen to what else is present. Mm, so it sounds like a whole lot of consciousness needs to be, yeah. <laughs> needs yeah. to be present in order for you to catch your mind um, yeah. stating these untrue narratives or not, not yeah. completely true. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so what are some other patterns that you see? And then, um, and then your, your title is also about people that hold you back. So I guess it's a two, uh, two part question. What are some patterns? <laughs> and are there types of people that hold us back? I think for patterns, it's, um, it's one big pattern based, you know, extending on what I was just talking about is, is jumping to whatever the first reaction is and, that that must be the you know only way or that's the truth or listening to the messages that we've been socialized to believe. I think that's the biggest pattern. And then um and whatever sort of behavior approach that isn't working, habitually doing the same thing over and over. And that whatever your pattern is, it's about breaking that and saying, how else can I approach this? What else can I try? Because we start to see that 
when we shift our approach, our outcome changes. We unlock a whole new set of possible outcomes. But when we are, um, when we're not open, I think feedback actually is sort of foundational for exploring all of the challenges that I talk about in the book, because if we're not open to collecting more evidence or looking at what's going on or thinking about being more present or, or being more conscious to, to whatever we're doing and how it's landing, we aren't able to fine tune any of it. So, um, I think setting a new pattern for ourselves, which is to be more aware and to recognize when, a st- when something isn't working and maybe we don't know yet what to try differently, but to know, Hey, I got to try something differently. I think that's the biggest place I'd start on the patterns. And, um, and people, and actually in the book, um, there's a little subtitle, <laughs> a secondary subtitle that says, spoiler alert, some of those people are you. I think yeah. a lot of times the the people, for, for women, we kind of have this double burden of having so many expectations of men and women and anyone around in our society around what women should do, how women should act, how, what women should say, what we should aspire to do, all of these things. So there's, there's a lot of people there and, 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 and then it's what we attach to and what we start to believe. And so, um, I think recognizing what we need to be successful and effective in our work starts to give us a clue about what kinds of people will best support that and who we want to be, um, you know, how to build our network, who, what kinds of environments we want to be in, what kinds of managers we want to seek out. And even if we can't always, you know, make that happen, I think a lot of time, you know, we, we can't always pick our manager, we get moved and we have like, you know, a great situation that gets changed pretty out from under us. We still know what kinds of environments work for us and, and what kinds of things will be more difficult so that we can be either actively working to change it or sensitive to, okay, this is going to be a tough relationship because this boss maybe doesn't always deliver feedback with empathy. This means I need to remember that and not, and notice if I'm getting triggered to remind myself, okay, this person struggles with giving feedback. This is not about me. So Mm. the more we recognize the, the kinds of situations we thrive in or struggle with, we can again, continue to depersonalize from it because we can think about that situation external to ourselves. That's extremely helpful. And again, it just seems like it all comes back to, to mindfulness in one way or another. I I agree because I think being present, that's what's going to stop that rumination cycle of looking at, Oh God, all of the things that went wrong in the past or the worrying and anxiety and overthinking about what might happen in the future. The more we can shorten that distance and that of, of what we're thinking about and what we're focusing on, which as you say, really is what mindfulness is about, the more we can actually get out of our head and, and also to stop believing these messages because we see, well, here's the evidence. Here's what happened. Um, this, this is, or is not accurate. Mm. Mm, very good. So Leah, all of this is wonderful and so helpful. And once your book comes out in a few weeks, I am definitely going to be <laughs> a buyer um, because it just sounds so extremely helpful. Um, so let's go back to kind of like your story. I would love yeah. to hear more about like, how did you become the person that you are with all of this information and facts and just, you know, 
a lot of, it seems like a lot of wisdom. Where, what's your, what's your story of origin and, and walk us through how you, how you got here? Yeah. So I would, I, I, from my first real like kind of career experience, I loved working with teams and on, um, like I said, sort of helping, helping people be successful, but also on really understanding what, what's going on beneath the surface in a team. And so really intuitive seeing, intuitively seeing when work's not getting done on time or when there's issues, it's not about people's skills or, um, motivation or, you know, ability to deliver work. It's about, um, it's about, are they being included? Is there clear roles and responsibilities? Are they being heard when they share a risk? Is there psychological safety? And this became a real theme throughout every role I've had. Um, like I said, since my, my first kind of big job and after college, and, um, this has also shaped the way you know, what I, the kinds of roles I want to pursue, the kinds of things I want to do. And it, it was a bit of an uphill battle, I would say, working in, in big tech and really wanting to focus on people, believing that it was the path to, you know, teams working effectively and, and then in turn delivering great results and products and everything else. But it, it took a long time to really articulate that benefit. And I think now, fortunately, it's way more understood. Psychological safety is talked about a lot. Um, well-being, motivation, engagement are all things that are now really well understood as, as drivers towards productivity and, and high output. But, you know, whatever, 12 uh, plus <laughs> 15, I don't even know when I graduated college, but a long time ago, um, it really wasn't. And I think um, I felt like I was misunderstood with how I was approaching work and it was frustrating. And I would talk about, um, Hey, this isn't getting done because no one's listening to each other. And people say, just, you know, focus on the work, not the people stuff. We'll figure out the people stuff later. Yeah. And I just did not agree. And I, and I kept feeling like, you know, I'm not going to be successful here. If, if I'm asked to approach this work in a way I know doesn't work. Like you can't just focus on the work when people have told you why nothing's going <laughs> to work out and you didn't listen to them. I, it's like it didn't add up for me. And so I, um, I struggled a long time to be able to explain, or I, I think I explained it, but to be able to get the buy-in, I would say around the importance of working on team dynamics, interpersonal communication, helping a team really figure out how to operate effectively and, and that, that would have that benefit to the team. And fortunately, as I, um, as I continue to study about and read about it and talk about it and write about it, I think the more sort of holistic understanding and around workplace culture started to evolve. And, and there was a lot more evidence I could point to that, that this was really the way that, um, you know, the way we need to operate within teams. And so I, my career has been primarily in team operations and program management and, and helping build effective teams. And so, um, I, as I had experiences and then also as a woman in tech doing that within these, doing this role within organizations where there wasn't a lot of women present, um, 
I started to just capture what are some of the things that I kept being frustrated about or weren't going well, or when I would talk to other women, what were, were they getting stuck? And when I started writing this book two years ago, it, it just, it was all there. I had basically a, you know, wealth of examples, a wealth of ideas of, of just all of these different things that kept showing up and, and kept being a challenge. And, and, um, I mean, feedback for me, I start the book with feedback because it's one of the hardest. I mean, we talked about it already at length. I think it's one of the ones that can be so, so difficult in the workplace and yet so important because we need to know where we stand with our colleagues and managers. And yet teams, you know, people aren't good at giving feedback and, and we're really not good at receiving it because of all the stuff that we talked about. Um, another topic I talk about is something I struggled a lot with throughout my career, which is talking about my work and impact and really shaping the narrative of what I'm doing, why it matters and how it benefits the organization. Doing that in a way that felt authentic to me, that that wasn't downplaying it, that wasn't saying, like I said earlier, <laughs> that it, oh, it's just this, there's no idea, it was kind of really diminishing it without feeling like, without missing the important key piece of the puzzle, which is how, why it matters to the organization, I think. And so this is something I coach a lot of women around as well. So the book really came together from weaving together just my kind of whole career <laughs> and, and all the things that have been frustrating or wins that have happened along the way, because I felt like, especially for women starting out in their careers, really at any stage, but if you're starting out in your careers, I wish that someone would have reflected on what they tried and where they got stuck and, and what were some tools they learned along the way. And so that was really one of the drivers to, to put this together was to kind of capture this arc across my career and, um, and also to talk about what is it like when you're not a high powered executive looking back at your journey when you're, when you're in the middle of it and hmm. you're trying and you're sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't like, what does that look like? Mm, that's also extremely powerful. And at what moment did you realize that your, let's call them pain points, could be uh, addressed and combined into a, a reference point, a book, um, a coaching program to to help others who are, like you said, like in the middle of their journey? Yeah. Well, I had been doing a lot of coaching and mentoring and, and I, a lot of the kinds of things I talk about in the book were tools that I tried with colleagues and clients and, and teams that I was working with. And, um, and I started to see, wow, there's certain things that are really, really resonating or really landing or really worked effectively for me. And so when I, and, and I said, I got to share this more broadly because, um, because, this feeling of stuckness is so pervasive and, and, and it just kept coming up in all the conversations I was having. And so I was really inspired to get to get it down on, on paper and get it out into the world so that people feel that, you know, they're not alone in this. I, I think that's, that's a real common, um, struggle that makes it even harder is feeling like, gosh, I'm, I'm, dealing with all these different th challenges and I'm, I, I keep feeling stuck and I'm the only person that must be going through this. I'm the only person that's having difficulty really demonstrate talking about my impact at work, or I'm the only person that 
has this these imposter feelings or I'm the only person that keeps getting in this cycle of comparison with my other colleagues. But that's not the case. And and the more I saw people talking about these things, the more I really wanted to bring it to light that we are not alone when we feel this way. And I think the more the less alone we feel, the more empowered we feel to to both reframe and look at another perspective. And the less power these these feelings have over us because part of that inner critic, like we said, is telling us we're the only one that feels this way. Something's wrong with us. We're not good enough. And so if you can say, wait a second, no, I'm not. There is more evidence here. Um, a lot of us feel this way because of these messages, because of these patterns, because of these different biases and expectations. And so it's not surprising I feel this way and I don't have to feel this way. And here is how I'm going to reframe it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, key thing that I heard from you is so many of us think we're alone or we're unique in our challenges, our yeah. struggles, our pains. And it does create a sense of community and solidarity when you are able to talk with others and see that others are going through something very, very similar. Um, yeah. yeah, that's definitely a, um, I think it like a starting point to, to overcoming many of these challenges. Um, well, it sounds like you have a very strong sense of self and are very clear in, in what's happening in the world around you. Is there a way that you kind of keep yourself in this space? Like, do you have rituals or like a certain process that happens daily, weekly, monthly that keeps you centered? One thing, you know, I, I mentioned I'm a mom of a toddler. I think one one thing that I'm really fortunate to be able to do is is carve out an hour every morning to have time for myself, to work on these projects, to um, to really feel like no matter what happens throughout the day, I had time for me. And and I think that's really helped me both stay motivated to be able to work on, um, the book and, and coaching consulting, you know, outside of my day job and, and to have this real regular time that, that I have every day. So I wake up every morning, an hour and a half or so before my toddler gets up. So I, I'm an early riser and I, I, that's a ritual of making sure I have that time. Um, and, and I think, um, and, and I recognize it's a privilege and a luxury. I know that not, not everyone can do that or, or, you know, depending on, I'm also lucky my toddler does sleep till seven. So, um, it's not, you know, it's not, we can't always do that in, in every phase of our lives either, but that's something that's been really important to me, um, to, to keep centered. Very good. And, and during that time, do you have any, any specific structure and how you spend it or, or, or what, what determines yeah. Great question. I, I'm as a program operations kind of person, I love to do lists and I love spreadsheets. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I usually have a pretty mapped out plan of the kinds of things that I want to work on every, every week, if not every day, because I only have about an hour, you know, in the morning. And then after my daughter goes to bed, I have probably, you know, at most two hours a day to, to work on everything. I have to be pretty diligent pretty diligent with my time. So I, I make a lot of lists and, um, and, um, and, and try to kind of crank stuff, crank through it and, and get through it. So I'd say to do lists, I like to track stuff in a spreadsheet. So I know what's, what I've done, what's coming up. Um, and 
I also try to do a little bit of exercise. So I, you know, sometimes I'll read and listen. I'm sorry, I'll jog or walk and listen to a podcast or an audiobook. Like I, I try to also really combine things. I know people say <laughs> multitasking is, is not good. Um I think when when it's like exercise and um and some sort of productivity thing, then maybe that's an exception we can make because I find Absolutely. <laughs> you know, then it's okay. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I also I like to do that if I can um have some sort of movement and then and also being a little bit productive too. You can you can kind of glean that I'm a little bit of a pr- productivity <laughs> sort of. Oh, I think that's my weakness is like kind of trying to fit every minute with stuff, doing stuff. I'll admit it. Oh, we're that's where the yoga boxes. helps. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I totally get you. I'm I am a list person. I check those yeah. things off. I have like my annual goals, then I broke it down into quarters, and I break it down into months, and then it's broken down into week with like each day having things to do. And it gives me a sense of, um, okay, like this is a concrete evidence that I've done something, whether it's work or actually super goal oriented, um, and of extreme importance to me and being able to go back and look at it helps my inner critic See, like, yeah, party, like the itty bitty sheety committee, as I call it, gets to talking. <laughs> <laughs> I can look at it and be like, no, 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 no. You know, this is what I've done. Like, there's no arguing yeah. um, that point. So, yes, I think that there's yoga, mindfulness, all of those things, which are on my to do list nearly every day, um, <laughs> certainly help silence the mind and give that inner peace. But to me, like, my superpower is being able to to maximize the use of my time. And I once heard someone say, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And Mm, I thought that was a very powerful way to phrase, like live your life, like go do things. Um, Whatever that doing is, you know, maximize it and make it worth something. So anyway, who do I, who am I to know what's (laughs) best? It's an individual journey, but as far as your checklist and filling the minutes, I I get it. I totally do. Totally. And I think too, like there's a, if you're a list person, you can make, you can make time for the rest and the downtime. It's also about scheduling and focusing on that. So like you say, mindfulness and yoga is on there too. I mean, I think we can forget that there's, you know, creativity comes out of the the stillness and, and taking breaks and resting and, it doesn't have to be at the expense of like being, um, you know, of, of really being driven and, and, and productive. I think that's something that I think a lot of people maybe wonder is like, well, how can you do all this stuff? Like, do you, you know, you must never take breaks, never stop. And I think I have personally found the more organized, like what you're describing with goals and really breaking it down, the more organized I am, the more breaks and rest I can take because I have a handle on what I'm doing. Mm. And, um, that's, that's, what's worked for me is then I know, okay, I'm not just working until some unlimited time passes. Cause then I think, especially with a side hustle, you can feel like the work is never done or I can just do more and more and more. Mm-hmm. But if you really have a sense of, Hey, I wanted to get through this thing and I got through it. Now I have 30 minutes. Like, yeah, I can watch a show or, you know, go on a jog or whatever it is. And, and it, that sort of downtime can feel even you know, sweeter because you sort of earned it. Mm, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's 
you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So when you, you know, this, this podcast is called Her Drive. So sometimes I like to speak in kind of the analogy of driving a car. So say you're like in your car on the highway of life um, and looking out the windshield, like what do you see as far as the future for you on your big billboard? Uh, what's coming mm. up? I think looking back, I... I, I want to feel that I've been able to deliver on my goal of, of helping people feel like they can be more successful in any environment they're in and any challenge. And Unstuck starts with really the individual challenge. And I also want to build that out for, for teams and organizational dynamics. I mean, I think there's all the challenges that I talk through in Unstuck um, also show up at the team level and can create real structural challenges that actually make the personal struggle even harder. And so building out how do we make organizations more effective and inclusive? Um, how do we make sure everybody has the tools they need to be successful? I think that's that's really what I want to look back on helping to create and and achieve. And and the future of work is a, is a big conversation right now what what it will look like as people whether or not you've been working remotely or in the office the whole time, I think everybody has had an opportunity to rethink what they want for themselves and their and their career and their ambitions and their aspirations. And helping organizations think about what they need to do to support people in this new mindset, in this new frame, um, helping the next generation of workers feel engaged and feel like um, they're able to make an impact. I think all of these things are, are areas that are really interesting and, and exciting to me that I want to be a part of. Oof. I love that. Absolutely. And this is a more personal question. And I ask every single person that um, comes on her drive, um, the, the specific one. Um, so I look forward to your answer. Um, if you were going to go back in time and give a, a younger Leah some words of advice, uh, what age would you be and what would you say to said younger self? Ooh. <laughs> um, I feel like I've thought about this a lot. Like anytime I'm ruminating or overthinking me like, Oh God, I wish I, <laughs> I could go back to this one thing. But um, I think I would go back to my earliest working in tech, which um is I guess about almost 10 years ago and say you have gifts and superpowers to bring that are outside of, of, of being technical. And as a non-technical person or non-engineer working in tech for many years, I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt, felt imposter experience constantly. Should I have gone a different career path? Should I have learned computer science? And I felt like I don't have anything to offer. I don't, people, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'll never be, you know, able to bring as much as someone that, that, you know, is bringing engineering or product experience. And that isn't true. And it was a waste of energy to think that. And it made me feel really hesitant to, to contribute or participate or very nervous when I would, I would had to spend a lot of time kind of preparing what I was going to say or how I was going to say it and just feeling nervous and, and unsettled. And I would say to myself, 
all of the stuff that is important to you, that you care about, that you see, that you have this radar on around teams, interpersonal dynamics, on on just connecting with people, all of that is important. And don't don't let that be diminished. Keep keep on with it. Keep shouting from the rooftops. I think I found that eventually, but it would have sure saved so much inner turmoil and like hesitation around, oh, should I, should I say this thing? Should I not? Do people want to hear me? Like all of these hesitations I think we have around, um, you know, not that, that we have around what we kind of know inside is right. <laughs> That's what I would say. Just, you know, give yourself more credit, give it a chance. And, and you don't have to be this other thing to be successful. Oof, that is so powerful and so beautiful. I'm sure so many people, myself included, can definitely relate to that. And I think that moment that we recognize our individual strengths and how whatever it is that we bring to the table strengthens the group as a whole because of our skill set, our knowledge, our world experience, um, it, it can just really help one see their self-worth. And I laughed really hard when I was reading a bit about you on your website where, um, there's a, a little excerpt that says, um, I'm, I'm going to read it if you don't mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so was born the work that I do on teams to build inclusive and effective environments where everyone can thrive. And then in quotation marks, I mean, until the robot takeover, there's still people at the center of all that we do. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so well put. Um, and even though you were working in, you know, you work in a tech environment, uh, you were very much focused on the humanness of it all. Yeah. And that is a very beautiful skill set to have. Thank you. And I, I, you know, there's, it's, it's sad sometimes that it needs to be reminded and reinforced, but it, it does. We, whatever kind of work we're doing, there are people, there's people doing it. There's people connected to it. People are in, on the other end of it. It's, it's so critical to not lose sight of that, no matter what scale you're working at, because, um, you know, there's, that's what it's all about, you know? And, and when we think about, we depersonalize, we think it's about the profit or the sales or the, this or that we, it, it changes how we approach problem solving. And mm -hmm. if we remember that, you know, who are we working with? We all have, you know, what are our shared goals or what, what's, what do we need to kind of be effective? It's, it's always about connection and, and support and, and, and relationships. Absolutely. Well, Leah, thank you so much for being a guest on her drive podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with, uh, with those listening? Well, thank you so much. This was, this was a wonderful conversation and I would share that folks, um, to, to definitely check out unstuck. It comes out April 5th. Uh, available for pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Target, anywhere books are sold. And to to get in touch with me on either LinkedIn or my website at leahgarvin.com. Um, I have a bunch of YouTube videos based on a lot of the concepts we talked about today. And in my book, my, my YouTube channel is Reframe with Leah. And I'm also on Instagram at leah.garvin. So I always love to hear from folks, especially how you are trying your own um, reframing around some of the challenges that you're going through. So please do get in touch. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Leah. I am so excited to order your book as soon as we're done. <laughs> I'm going to pre-order <laughs> it. And um, congratulations on on this wonderful new chapter of your life. I look forward to staying connected and, and watching as you help shift and um, get us all to reframe our minds. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramplett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.